everyone, this is Ramblings of a Guy from Regina. I am your host, Luke Cannon, and for the latest episode in our Burden of Truth miniseries, and at this point I'm keeping it open for any other Burden of Truth personnel to come onto the show should they express an interest, we are returning once again to the seven that were in the hotel room at All Access 2019. But this guest had heard a version of my pitch beforehand, where I had basically condensed the entire film into three minutes, to which my guest gave me some great advice and that I should boil it down to three main points. And in said hotel room, he told me that my revised pitch was already better. If this proves anything, it's that I am nothing if not adaptable. My guest is one of the creatives on Burden of Truth. Not only did he film all the second unit footage for the show, and not only is he one of the co-producers, but he is an accomplished filmmaker in his own right, having written and directed the film Lovesick, which played to acclaim on the festival circuit and what I presume were sold-out screenings in Millwood for 16 weeks straight. He is someone I admire, and like everyone associated with the show, hope to achieve even a fraction of the success he's had. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Tyson Karen. Hello, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to chatting. Oh, no, the honor is all mine. So, Tyson, why don't you introduce yourself even further? What I'd like to know is who you are, what made you want to become a filmmaker, and how you got involved with the good folks at Eagle Vision. Yeah, I mean, I came at it from a different place. I wasn't making home movies on my dad's Super 8 or something. I wasn't that kid. I love movies. I just loved watching them. But I didn't even think there was film jobs, really. I just thought that's something that people do in in Hollywood, and they get it done, and, and they make movies, and we all love them. And so I came into it like a different way. I was probably 19. My best friend uh, at the time was doing acting, and he was doing quite well. He started getting into different acting programs, and I just sort of got interested and started to see that there was movies like the Enron story getting made in Winnipeg and the Mary Kay cosmetic story and different things. So there was all kinds of movies being made in Winnipeg and I kind of just got interested in that. And then I was in university, I was in commerce, I had a few years left to finish and I thought it was best to finish my degree and I didn't want to switch into film studies. I didn't really see the advantage of doing that. So I just finished my degree and got a BCom honors And when I was done, I was just like, I didn't want to get a job at an office. I didn't want to get a job in marketing. I didn't want to do that. I just, I I felt I had something deeper in me that I wanted to do. So I started taking some workshops at the Winnipeg Film Group, which I highly recommend to anyone that's interested in film. It's a fantastic co-op. It's amazing. I love the film group. I do some teaching there too sometimes, so I'm still connected to it. And an experience that sort of opened my eye to this world by taking this basic Winnipeg Film Group workshop. From there, it was just about entering the world of just possibility. And there was opportunities out there, and I saw them. And uh, a friend and I named Paul Christie, he was the acting friend. And we thought we could do something together and really enjoy just try to make a movie together. And we saw this thing called the Chorus Entertainment Young Filmmakers Initiative. And the longest title in the history of short film competitions. And we decided to put a pitch together and a package together. So I said, I could write a script. So I wrote a script. And Paul was going to direct it. He had a lot of acting experience. And I was going to produce it with Paul. And we put a pitch together. And we won. And we won $25,000 to 
make a, a short film called Eugene and learned a great deal from that experience. And it kind of was the spark that got everything going with me into the industry and, and into the level of trying to be a creator and a director and a writer. Interestingly, at around that same time that I was in Calgary, I was working as a beer rep. So I was doing like Molson Canadian promotional things where I had a big SUV that I drove around with and went to bars and gave away shirts to people. And it was okay. It was like a fun gig by any means. It wasn't something I wanted to do at the time because I kind of did that work when I was a little bit younger. And it was fun. And I was done going to the Western bar or whatever. It just wasn't my scene at the time and wasn't interested in it. But it was fine. It was a job and it paid the bills. But then I kind of thought about going back to Winnipeg and moving back closer to home and seeing some opportunities there. So I found Film Training Manitoba and I saw that there was this opportunity and I got a call to do an interview with this woman named Leslie Oswald, who is a dear friend of mine now and a mentor of mine. And she was the production manager of a children's puppet series called Teepee Tales. So I started working on that. I guess I was in 2002 and really became close with Lisa Meaches and Kyle Irving, the people of Eagle Vision, and just kind of continued rolling from there and just working my way through the industry at that point. Now, before we get into Burden of Truth, I feel we should talk about your writing and directorial debut film, Lovesick. During the rehearsal pitch in the hotel room, Kyle mentioned that the film was very biographical on your part. So mm-hmm. does that mean you dated Megan from Mad Men for a decade and Fred Penner was at your wedding? <laughs> you know, that would be a more interesting film, I think. Yeah. Um, Actually, but... <laughs> before we go any further, that's my big question about the film to you. Like, I'm sitting in the front row of the Cinematheque where you guys had the premiere for the film, and I'm into it. And then it gets to the wedding scene at the legislature, and I'm like, wait, is that Fred Penner? And as the scene continues, I go, it is! It's Fred Penner! And for those of you who don't know, Fred Penner and Ernie Combs were the late 80s, early 90s Mr. Rogers of Canada. He had a kid's show called Fred Penner's Place on CBC, where he'd play guitar and sing songs. And of course, every Canadian kid knows The Cat Came Back, and the animated short of it is probably the most watched NFV short ever created. And I actually have a Fred Penner story of my own, which I'll share later. So for me, Seeing Fred Penner in your film felt more like a big deal cast-wise than Jessica Perret and Jay Baruchel. So I have to ask, how the hell did you get Fred Penner to be in your film? Did you babysit for one of his kids and you called in a personal favor? Or did you just ask him to be in your film and he was like, okay. Well, interestingly, that goes back to what this industry is about. And it's about relationships and friendships and You know, I started out making a film with my best friend and then I made friends and became close to the people and developed relationships with the people at Eagle Vision. And on the show Teepee Tales, the children's puppet series that I worked on, Fred Penner did the music. And so I knew Fred. I knew him. I call Fred and I know him. We go for coffee every once in a while when I have an idea, maybe a new series idea or a show that Fred could kind of fit into. So, yeah, he's just a wonderful guy, and and he's a magical person. He really, truly is one of my favorite people. When I see him, it's just something about Fred. He lights up every space, every room, everywhere he goes. He just lights up the area, and, and he's just a lovely human. And so we were just kind of thinking who could play her dad in a fun cameo. And Kyle came up with the idea. He's like, what about Fred? And I was like, oh, I never thought of that. So we just reached out to him, and he said he would do it. And I, I thought he was terrific in it i really think his scene is really sweet and and really 
well done and he's just a talented human and he's just a wonderful wonderful person i love fred yeah so my fred penner story isn't a long one for a couple of years i was with iatsi local 63 and Mm -hmm. one of the jobs i did was when the western canada music awards was at the club region casino and i manned one of the spotlights there during the rehearsal and then the show itself and it was at that specific award show that fred penner was given like a lifetime achievement award or something like that and he performed on stage with his five adult kids so i can say that i got to shine a light on fred penner himself also his sons look exactly like him i mean exactly oh that's cool oh that sounds awesome that's a good story i don't think it's one we should shy away from it's a good it's a good story no no it's a a good story it's just not a long one so now that i've gotten my fred penner question out of the way can you tell us about lovesick where it came from and how it came to be and did it really take 10 years to get made Going back to when I started writing, I think I finished the first draft of February 2008. So February of 2008, I'm getting a little bit older and not remembering dates as well as I used to. But, you know, that was the first draft and I sent it to Kyle and said, you know, we should read this and talk about it. And so that's where it started. It didn't get made till 2015 or something like that. Makes sense. I don't know. I'd have to look. So it did take eight to 10 years to make it it was just lots of things happened over that time in terms of the process of filmmaking in canada and most people say like the average is five years but also it's not uncommon for 10 years to get your film made so it, it was a long process and it was a really wonderful experience that i will forever cherish deeply and dearly and i learned a great deal about myself and learned a great deal about filmmaking and learned a great deal about writing. So it's a great sort of look at how you can make something that's personal, I think. It's not a film that's going to blow you out of the water in terms of twists and turns and plot turns. And it didn't win the Academy Award, won an audience award at the San Jose Film Festival. It's called No Sinquest. So it won the audience award there and beat up some big, big American films at the time. And so it, it's done very well like for me and, and for everyone that was involved. It's certainly like different crew members started working in different departments and getting training on Lovesick and have now, you know, moved on to bigger and greater things. So, you know, it's a great little exercise. When we made it, we were like this small, tiny film in town. Like there was a dog's purpose and, and they had like four art directors on it and four production designers or something. And we had this small ragtag crew of artists and filmmakers and inspired people and it was kind of a labor of love for all of us i don't speak for everyone of course but i know everyone that i knew well enjoyed the experience so it's just a delightful time of my life it was just wonderful and i didn't know exactly what i was getting into i've certainly been on a lot of film sets and i made short films and i did different things but you know i was over my head for sure i was young and sort of just thinking i could do it and just being positive but i certainly didn't know what I was doing at times so that that was good like I learned a lot so in terms of the personal aspect of it I think all good writing is personal writing and writing that comes from you and you should write what you know like that's what they say you should write what you know you should write what you know and yes a hundred percent yes do you have to write a love story about two people or three people or four people or whatever no you don't you could write a sci-fi series you could write a sci-fi movie you could write you know some sort of adventure or big high concept but i think if there's nothing in there that's not a personal layer of life or humanity i don't think it will be good 
I don't think people connect with it. So lovesick is personal. It's not autobiographical. It's more like inspired by my life more than anything. And there's stuff in there that happened to me. Sure, like 100%. But there's also I made most of it up. It's made up. I wrote it. Some of it's based on some of my friends' experiences. Some of it's based on just stuff I heard. But I would say a lot of it's just stuff I wrote and sort of embellished on. So it's just very much a good example of how you can tell a personal story without making it too close to home, but also seeing that, yeah, there's lots of dash is in me and vice versa, I guess, if that's possible. And there's lots of all those characters in me and, and that are part of me. So I'm very connected to all the characters and I do love all the characters in that film a lot. Oh, yeah, no, I totally get that. The joke that I made earlier about sold-out screenings in Millwood for 16 weeks straight, that's because if you watch season one of Burden of Truth, and any time you see a shot of Main Street, which is just Manitoba Avenue and Selkirk, and Billy's office is right next to the movie theater there, on the marquee, it says, Love Sick, now playing. And I think I remember Duffy making a joke of, like, oh, sold-out screenings for 16 weeks straight. And that's just because I like to think maybe it's like a tiny little bit of corporate synergy of promoting another work of Equal Visions, but also just that it's easier to advertise for your own movie as opposed to coming up with like a fake film or just not change the marquee of actual real life movies that were playing there just changing throughout the weeks and the seasons. Exactly. Yes, you could put a Marvel movie up there, but you'd have to get that cleared by Marvel. So you won't do that. You could use a lesser film, like something that you can get access to or get a clearance from. Sure, you could do that. It might take a little bit of time, but eventually you'd probably get a clearance. And then lastly, you could make up a film and just put a fake film and make artwork, but that's going to take money and time to create the artwork and stuff. So I think we just did it for fun. I didn't think it was going to be up there all year through the entire shoot, but I get a good kick out of it that it is. And you see it maybe a couple times in the actual series. I don't know how many any, but it, it is funny and, and a nice little nod and I think Kyle and I like it and everyone else that is dear to both the projects yeah see I'm the kind of person that pays attention to details like that like if somebody's watching TV in the background I always pay attention I'm like okay what's the movie or the TV show that's on and is it just something in the studio's library that they can put on for cheap or is it in the public domain so you don't have to pay anything for it or is it something that's deliberately chosen as like a background Greek choir commenting on the show that you're watching Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's some people who really like that stuff and finding those Easter eggs, they call it sometimes, or finding those little moments of subtle nods to things. Or I think that's fun. I think it makes filmmaking interesting. Yeah. And last thing about Lovesick before we move on. I don't know if you still keep in touch with Jay Baruchel and have him in your contacts, but when your kid gets old enough to watch the How to Train Your Dragon films and falls in love with them, you will be the coolest dad in the world if you can call Jay up, up on your kid's birthday and have him be hiccup over the phone. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, and my son likes dinosaurs a lot, so maybe he likes dragons too, so I'm sure he'll love those, so maybe there's a way to get Jay on the phone. <laughs> Okay. One other project of yours I'd like to bring up is Winter, which is a pilot that you directed in between the two seasons of Burden of Truth. As mm -hmm. far as I know, it's not being picked up for series, but it did end up airing on APTN on Halloween, so it at least got out into the world. Can you tell us how you got involved with it and what it was like directing said pilot? My friends Vanessa Lowen and Desiree Single reached out to me and said they have this pilot that's going into production and they wanted me to read it. And... 
I said, sure, I read it. And it was like a really good script. It was extremely ambitious. And I said to them, look, you can't make this for the money you have. It's just not possible. There's too many stunts. There's too many gags. And gags in the film business are, are kind of what you call, I don't know what the proper way to describe it other than it's kind of like a moment that is difficult. So say you're going to stab a guy with a knife, you're going to create some sort of gag to do that by like using a rubber knife or, or whatever you end up doing, right? So a breakaway knife and then some trick photography with the camera and editing and then you have, and that's a gag, but it takes time to do those things. So what the problem with the script was that there was a lot of those things. There was a lot of little moments. They're fun moments and they add lots of value, but they're very hard to do because they take up time and resources and money. So there's too many gags, there's too many stunts, but the heart of the story was wonderful. It's the it's story of an indigenous woman who finds out she's half human, half trickster. So that she's able to, she doesn't find out till later in the story, but she can transform into a raven. I mean, you don't really see that in the story, but it's implied it was gonna happen in later episodes. So it's a very fun, exciting story with great characters and amazing, talented people involved. And I just loved the heart of it. I loved the story of Mike Goslin, the writer. He lives in BC. He's from Saskatchewan. And he wrote a great script and he based on his mother and being raised by a single mother. And she was his superhero and he wanted to make a female Indigenous superhero. And that's what he did. So they brought it to me and I said, yeah, I'm interested in doing this. I just, I think we should try to work through it together and, and try to get it down to a place where it could be actually filmed. So we just worked on it for about a year and a half and we all put in time and work together, making notes, cutting things, adding things that are missing, getting it to a manageable shooting seven-day pilot. And so that's what we did. And then we got all the funding in place and we shot it in February around the coldest time of the, the year. <laughs> it was just uh, wonderful. And the cinematographer, Sami Anaya, is an extraordinarily talented person. And Peter did a fantastic job. He was nominated for a Canadian Cinematography Award which is hard to get. He didn't win, but it's amazing that he got nominated and was able to show his craft in, in a way that I think really stands out. And so it's a great pilot. It, nothing's over forever, but right now it's not going anywhere because APTN had to pass on it given the size of the budget that it would require and the size of the network that they are in. So it's, it's not going anywhere further right now. But maybe the right time and right place, it will. Right now, it's just a, a great experience, and I learned a great deal, and I loved working on it. Learned lots. I did see the pilot, and for me, my big takeaway was, wow, you made Davis scary. Like, I've seen <laughs> yeah. Lauren Cardinal in non-corner gas stuff, but this was the first time I saw him, and I was like, whoa. And then seeing Miguel show up at the end was a big surprise. And an even bigger surprise for me was actually seeing my name in the credits, mainly because I only did two days on the pilot, and both of them were basically parking lockups. Actually, it's funny. My name isn't in the credits for Burden of Truth, and as of this recording, I don't know if I'm in the credits for Breakthrough, but my name did show up in Radius, even though I only did a week on that show. Huh. And it's in the Winter Pilot, even though, like I said, I only did two days on that. So mm -hmm. it's weird seeing your name in stuff that you did the least amount of work on, but not the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can appreciate that can be frustrating. I think it comes down to every credit for every broadcaster and delivery has a format and a time limit. So oftentimes you get cut from things you'd want to be listed as. But for APTN, we needed a longer credit role. So we were able to fit people in because the pilot was a little bit short. It's part of the business. It's part of life. It's part of the way 
things go, and I've, I've been disappointed too. Not disappointed, but I guess disappointed. Okay, I mean, I'm not losing sleep over it, but no, it's just... I, does it, <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're losing sleep. So let's now move on to the main topic of discussion: Burden of Truth and your role within it. As mentioned before, not only are you a co-producer on the show, but you also do all the second unit filming on the series. Can you tell us about that, as well as the challenges that come with filming footage that needs to match the visual look of the series? So yeah, I came on as a co-producer. Kyle, when I work together a lot, and we do a lot of stuff together, and he reached out and said, hey, I got this series coming in, and we're co-producing it with Ego Vision. I'm going to need some help on the ground. And I was kind of less interested in doing producing work at that time. I really just wanted to focus on directing, but I also needed a gig. I needed a job and I needed money and just like everyone does to survive and pay rent and all those things. So I came on board as a co-producer and yeah, it's interesting. My job is very diverse on burden. As a co-producer, probably people often wonder what I'm doing, (laughs) but I promise you it's a lot. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of work involved behind the scenes in terms of just everything from I'm very heavily involved in the publicity side of things. So I take like a publicity meeting every other day or every once a week and we talk about the publicity of the show. And there's also reporting that needs to be done for CBC. So, you know, I'll do a little bit of the reporting of the diversity that's in the show or just stuff like that it's kind of varies i'm on the phone a lot i'm driving a lot i feel like from selkirk to winnipeg and sanford but there's also just like simple stuff like it's just really supporting the vision of the crew and supporting the vision of the directors and just being supportive and being a person that i'm really good at i think finding locations and scouting so i do a lot of the scouting and a lot of the times just so people know when you're shooting a series you do it in blocks so there's one and two, three and four, five and six, seven and eight. So there's four blocks. And so when you're shooting one and two, you're prepping three and four. So what kind of happens is producers, we kind of split off. So if Linda Pope and Kyle are on set, making sure the set's running well, I would be with the prepping crew, making sure that we're getting the prep done that we need to, to accomplish the next block. So it's just about teamwork and working together and it's a blast. I love it. It's so much fun. It's very long hours. It's very time-consuming, and it's a wonderful job to have. And I hold it very dear to my heart and love working with the people that I get to work with and learn. And I'm constantly learning from the writers, from the other producers, from the directors, from the actors, from the costume designer. So yeah, it's a diverse job. There's a lot of different things I get to do. And it's, sorry, there's no one day that's the same. Every day is unique and different. What about the challenges that come with the uh, second unit filming? Because like I said, you need to bash the visual look of the series. And watching the show, you kind of take for granted that Burden of Truth has a very distinct look to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's challenging, but not. I've, I've worked in it and I know how we cover the show. And a lot of times, Second unit work is just inserts. So you go and shoot an insert of a telephone getting answered, or you shoot an insert of a piece of paper getting photocopied. So some of that stuff is pretty simple. It's just a camera and pointing it down and getting an insert and trying to make the insert as interesting as looking as possible so it doesn't just scream, I'm an insert, and doesn't stand out. So we try to do that. We try to be creative. And the team of people I get to work with are just fantastic. And Keith Ides is the second unit DOP. And he is an extremely talented person, someone I've been working with for 
probably 15, 17 years. And he's so talented and he knows the lighting and the look very well. And I know the way it's covered well and he does too. So I think it's just a great marriage and we have a great team of creative support workers and support team and creative people that we get to work with on these second unit splinter units. So it's not that hard to get the job done. And this year it got bigger where there was more involved with more actors, just more content. It wasn't just cars driving by or a shot of a, a photocopier. It's a great gig. I'm honored to do it. I love doing it. I'm very lucky. Second unit director gigs are hard to find. So when you do get them, you really have to learn and make the best of them. One other thing that you do, and this is one of the reasons I'm so glad you said yes to coming onto the show, is that you're behind what I think is a really cool thing the show did for season two, which is the Instagram account for Taylor Matheson. I have so many questions about this. First off, who came up with it? Was it something that was pitched to you guys by CBC or Entertainment One, or did you guys come up with it yourselves? How much involvement does Onwin have with the content of the account itself? Does she just show up and say the lines, or does she have an input into what her character would post? Like, how much ownership does she have with the role of Taylor Matheson? Because I think that is a great bit of supplemental material for the show. You don't need to see it in order to get any important plot details or character motivations, but it's a great way to bring some extra development and insight into her character. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's two things I want to address here is that I think is fun and important is that the Instagram was an idea that CBC had and we jumped onto it and supported it as a team and we were gung-ho about doing something different and doing something that would add value and hopefully find users. It is absolutely a collaboration. I feel if I tell you all the secrets that it takes away from the fun of the project But, of course, Onwin is involved heavily. She's wonderful and extremely talented. And we just worked on it together, and we had a lot of fun. And it's just so much fun to make. And maybe it could keep going and keep happening on a a unique level and and just add value. And I hope that happens next year. So I don't want to give away too much. I don't think I have because I I want it to kind of exist in the way that it exists because it's a bit out there in in terms of... It doesn't have like a million followers or anything, but I just want it to be fun for the fans, and that's what I, I hope it is. Okay. Also, I love the extra detail that Ben Matheson now has an Instagram account as well, and that as of now, there's no pictures and he's only following his daughter. And you could go two directions with that. You could either keep it that way or have him start using the account, but since he's an old man with no social media savvy, he'd have no idea how to use it. So all the pictures are poorly framed, he'd use the wrong filters, and of course he'd be inundated with troll comments. (laughs) yeah no there could be some fun to be had there for sure yeah i don't think that's a bad idea at all okay and just to throw this out there if you guys are thinking about doing other online content for season three how about a podcast (laughs) i mean there is precedence for shows doing podcasts hosted by people involved with the show ronald Mm -hmm. d moore for example did episode commentaries for Battlestar galactica that he posted online that then ended up on the dvds and blu-rays and he's also doing it now for outlander He's one of my favorite guys who does commentaries in that he's very candid about if an episode works or not, and if it doesn't, he gets into the why. And then there's the Better Call Saul Insider podcast, where the two editors of Better Call Saul 
interview the cast and crew of the show, which itself was a carryover from the Breaking Bad podcast they did. And part of the reason I want to do this mini-series of episodes is that I'm the rare film geek that watches all the bonus features and listens to all the commentaries on the DVDs and Blu-rays of films and TV shows. I'm just fascinated with hearing about the creative process and the crucible of chaos in how they get made. And I just want to not only let listeners peek behind the curtain to see how the show gets made from the bottom up, but also learn from the top down how the creative decisions are decided on and then implemented. And I think a podcast would be a great vehicle for you guys to do that. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I generally pitched the idea to Kyle in a short little email recently where we were just talking about doing a supplemental thing for Burden, and I said, also, we could do a podcast because Kyle and I have been working on a podcast too. So, Oh, oh, you guys are. Is it out? No, it's not. It's kind of one of those projects that can't be talked about yet, but I will certainly let you know as soon as it's out. So now we get into the fun part of the show. Do you have any anecdotes or funny stories about working on the series or doing any of the second unit filmmaking? There is an Easter egg that I know you will appreciate is that there is some stock footage shots from Lovesick that are in season two of Burden of Truth. On Lovesick, we wanted to get some cityscapes, and there's a lot of city shots. There's lots of shots of Winnipeg. We really wanted to make Winnipeg a character and show Winnipeg, and just the city that I love, and just celebrate Winnipeg. People are always down on Winnipeg, and it's a fabulous city. It's a wonderful place to live and have a family and make art and tell stories. So I really wanted to celebrate and romanticize Winnipeg. So we did that by just doing some second unit sort of guerrilla style cinematographer and a camera assistant and me and out in a van kind of stuff, which is a lot of fun. And so we went up on the top of the Fort Gary place, which is behind the Fort Gary. And we were able to get access to their roof, which I guess it was fine. It wasn't dangerous or anything, but we were up there and we, they gave us a permission and we shot some shots and some sunsets and, and some magic hour shots of the city. And we used a couple of the shots in Lovesick, but we didn't use all of them. And this year we needed a few extra things to slide into Burden of Truth. So uh, there's a shot or two or maybe three that I shot on Lovesick with the cinematographer Johnny Cliff that are in Burden of Truth. So there's a, a bit of a story for you. Just to wrap up, and speaking of Instagram, I see that you have just completed a second film script. You posted a few pics of your progress, and I even commented on one of them. I turned the chorus of Daft Punk's Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger into a series <laughs> of hashtags. Can you tell us about what it is, or do you have to keep it under wraps? No, I don't think I have to keep it under wraps. It's a project. It's a script called Fruit. It's based on a book called Fruit by Brian Francis. So it's an adaptation, and it's been a lot of fun, and I'm happy with the script, and we'll see where it goes next. It's very exciting, though. Well, Tyson, it's been an honor yeah. to have you on the show, and I yeah. told Kyle and Rebecca this. If Darcy and Sarah are out of the office and you need somebody to do a 7-Eleven or coffee run, provided oh, I'm sweet. not working that day, I'd be more than happy to do it. Okay, that's great. Good to know. You always need extra help, so I'll absolutely let you know for sure. And thank you for having me, and I look forward to seeing you soon and talking more about film and podcasts. I'd love to hear more about the podcast you're listening to. So, awesome. All right, then. Peace. Thanks, Luke. Take care. Bye-bye.